away for Columbus in their own end. It's Nashville on the edge of the Golden Third. Now with Hani Mukhtar. Skips it wide to the overlapping Washington. A long cross and a pretty one to wheel. Good position. He heads it on frame. He heads it in. Taylor Washington to Alex Wheel. And when the night is darkest, the gold shines brightest. For the second time in Nashville SC's five match road trips so far, we're talking about a three-point evening, this time for the boys in gold in Columbus against the crew. This is the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling, Nashville SC's radio voice. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. As always, we are sponsored by ML Rose. Our soundtrack comes from Moon Taxi. Credit to iHeartRadio for the highlight you just heard of Alex Wheel's game-deciding header. And Tim, I have to give you credit here. This hurts me to do. <laughs> for an amazing pun that you've got written in our rundown. That you wrote that we'd play that audio <laughs> because it was hit right into the wheelhouse. It's Listen, brilliant. man, you, I don't want to let you feel like you have some sort of monopoly on all the all the bad dad jokes. So I got to slip one in there every now and then. And for anybody who wonders whether I'm a bad influence here, no. Tim was bringing <laughs> the puns the first time we ever sat down and had yeah, I actually am I'm allowed to skate on about equal amount of bad punnery, <laughs> but hey, I'll take it. Yep, yep. It's, uh, it's great to be here, though, and especially to talk about a night where Nashville SC scored and then survived. Yeah, and it was uh, maybe a situation where they were unlucky to leave Salt Lake City with any points a couple weeks ago, but uh, this time around they weathered a late barrage. Not only earn a draw, but a win in Columbus, which so few teams have been able to do um, historically, but certainly within the last two years. We might have some stats, some facts, and some figures about how infrequently that happens. Not only beating Columbus, but shutting them out at lower.com field, where their score was indeed lower dot com on uh, on saturday night um also in the early shout we'll discuss that we'll also get into whether nashville should have been awarded a second goal a controversial no call didn't go to the monitor was that the right decision or the wrong one and then tim two guests one pseudo guest and and one actual guest ian air uh, gives insight into the build of Nashville SC, plus what he thought when Anibal tackled Walker in the box. Now, we'll clarify, we did not talk with Ian, but another member of our 440 Sports crew did. Lamestream Sports, Braden Gall, Steve Cavendish, sat down with him for, I just listened to it, it was 35, 40 minutes or so of detailed discussion, and we could not resist taking a clip from that and using that on the show. And then a guy, Tim, that you've talked about on this show time and time again, we're finally able to bring him on. Yeah, Adam Bells of the Scuffed Podcast joins us from Georgia. He is indeed Adam Bells in Georgia, for those of us who love to listen to the intro to their podcast. Um, he is not joined uh, by Greg Velasquez in Iowa, but he is joined by Tim and Wes in Tennessee to talk about Walker Zimmerman, Anibal Godoy, and the bigger picture of the United States men's national team. And Tim had a big smile on his face the whole time getting to have these conversations with uh, one of the co-hosts of a podcast that you've recommended, what, four or five six times on the show maybe oh yeah easily probably and i've probably uh, mentioned scuffed adjacent things in my in my uh, <laughs> content recommendations on, on a number of occasions as well it's rubbed off on me as well i've become a regular listener of the show especially during qualifying windows i kind of step away during you know busy mls times and then when it gets to those you know when it got to those past tense anxiety riddled triads of games i would listen to those guys and, and they no more anxiety no more well <laughs> Already anxieties would look at the World Cup draw. Like, all right, who's it going to be? Scotland, Wales, Ukraine? Who do we want? Who do we not? Which we ask him, uh, along with a lot of other great insight. Uh, then the mailbag, an eye-popping stat about Nashville's ability to contain the best number 10 in MLS so far this season. Plus, 
We're going to recalibrate our expectations for the road marathon. Now that Nashville has seven points, I had originally said that eight would be a good eight-game road trip. Am I going to change my mind? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, we'll talk about that. Plus, it's it's a revision, not a change of your mind. I'm okay to say change my mind. I'm I'm, I'm humble enough to know that sometimes I'm wrong. I need to adjust my expectations <laughs> uh, because I'm married, and that's what marriage does to you. <laughs> you realize that quickly. Uh, and then finally, we'll go outside in and take a quick look around Major League Soccer. And much to Tim's chagrin, I added a note to update our uh, 440 Sports Fantasy League again. Uh, the standings there. No, no comment. I'll just, uh, I will, I will fraudulently claim that I forgot to set my lineup. This oh week. no, you're not an absent. The one thing worse than being an absentee manager is trying and still yeah. being and looking like an absentee manager. <laughs> Ouch. But first, Tim, you know, who's not absentee, the servers at ML Rose, they are attentive. They're the opposite of absentee. And they are of course the sponsor of club and country. Uh, every time I go Tim, I feel like I have this great balance there when I go of, Sitting back and enjoying a game and not feeling like somebody's trying to turn over your table or stand over you the whole time. But when you need something, those MLRO servers are right there for you, whether it's a bartender or somebody bringing you the food. They really have mastered that balance of like the art of sports watching. Like Also, like I'm not going to go interrupt them right now. There's something big going on. But the minute he needs a beer, I'm going to be on it. And, and, and for me, it is so often that that need for the beer that they manage to fulfill because it's not just it's not it's not just about the volume. It's about the variety. And obviously, you and I are both um, big and, and maybe slightly ambitious beer enjoyers. And they have a wide tap list there. And it's something that you can find something different every time you uh, grab another round. And that's something that I very much like to do is, is kind of pick and choose around the various parts of the menu. Yeah, it's great. And then I take that knowledge and I'll, you know, act like I know a lot about beer and tell my other friends, you know, what what I enjoy. And like, oh, wow, you really get around. No, I'm just I just know the bartender to <laughs> Mill Rose. It's perfect. I'm that way, too. I'll, I'll, I'll probably have two or three beers per session. You know, I'll take my time and kind of savor it and over three hours or so. But they're never going to be the same three beers mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. I just really fall in love with something. So, yes, ambitious is a good word for that. Um, I will say this, too, as you learn about new beers, it's also time, of course, to execute friends, your um no, don't execute your friends. It's, it's, it's time, friends, for you to execute your pre-home opener burger scouting mission. You need to know how far that drive really is from ML Rose to the stadium walk, or walk, of walk. course. It, we're going we're gonna to string this out so people want to find out for themselves. But yes, five, five, to, five to ten minute walk. Uh, and you need to know what that experience is going to be like because it's also important to know whether you want to do a pregame burger situation and then walk over to the tailgate or a post-game celebration, or as those who on whose show Emil Rose advertises would say, both, of course, yeah. um, which is where the variety of that menu and the variety of the beer list comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we, we are very happy to be sponsored by Emil Rose, but we're especially happy because we're sponsored by a restaurant slash bar that we, we legitimately enjoy. So we're very excited to be able to, to not just sit here and, and spout stuff, to actually mean it when we when we shout them out. So we're very happy for that, and we're very happy that it's so convenient to the new stadium. Great burgers, ambiance, convenience to the new stadium, as you said. Also, watch parties for every road match. Another victorious watch party Saturday night against Columbus over at the 8th Avenue ML Rose in that large, diverse, locally-driven craft beer list with just enough of your favorites from other cities, too, that if you have a couple of go-tos or you're a transplant, they might just have your beer there as well. When you think Nashville SC, when you think club and country, think ML Rose, and Columbus will be thinking about this. One step outside the box, just next to the apron on the far side of the pitch. A 19-yard free kick effort. 
from the man who is known for making masterpieces from this distance. Lucas Elrayon, 73rd minute, with his right foot. Just misses. It was deadly, and it had Willis beat, but it was just left of the far post. Yeah. And Nashville SC Nation can breathe for just a moment. That's right, we're in our early shout, and that was the near miss from Lucas Zellerayon, the best free kick artist in Major League Soccer, the leading scorer in MLS heading into the weekend. He got passed by Brandon Vasquez. Misses by four inches, five inches perhaps. Might have had Joe Willis beat, and that was the difference ultimately in Nashville SC winning 1-0, drawing 1-1, but Nashville was able to earn all three points despite being outshot 19-6. Tim Columbus took the final 13 shots of the match. Followed a similar script really to past NSC visits to Columbus. Fairly bright start, then fairly cagey game, and then Columbus turns it on. The difference was Nashville had its goal early on, and then it was able to hold firm late, like it did last time. Yeah, and the attack didn't immediately go dormant after the boys in gold took the lead at lower.com field. Within the next five minutes, there were two really, really good chances. CJ Sapong uh, tried to slip one between the wickets on Eloy Room and uh the, the Curacao keeper just managed to get those legs closed and keep it out. And then um, just, just over a minute later, Hani Mukhtar took a nice lefty shot, uh, struck the far post and um, controversially couldn't quite, couldn't quite get credit for the goal. But immediately after the Hani Mukhtar miss, um, if we want to call it that, I guess, <laughs> immediately after that, though, Nashville really started to scale it back a little bit. They only took one more shot for the entirety of the game and they kind of shifted gears and were content to let the crew have the ball as long as that didn't end up with it in the back of the net. Well, anytime you're out possessed 68 to 32% and you only allow four shots on target the whole game, I think you've done something pretty well. You, you've allowed Columbus to have the ball in those less than dangerous positions. Uh, and that left Alex Wheel's goal to be the decider in the 28th minute, the longest serving member of this team, the only USL original remaining. Taylor Washington sent in a cross. Wheel's mark, Pedro Santos slipped, and from there the right wing back was able to tuck it in the bottom corner. I also think that if Santos stays on his feet, he's still going to have a tough time totally cutting down that angle, but it gave Alex a lot more time to sit in place and cue that ball in with his head. And uh, you alluded to a, a couple of really good chances after that. Sapong trying to poke the ball between Eloy Room's, Eloy Room's legs, only to be denied the five hole. And in a, a moment, I think, where Sapong would tell you he probably should have scored. And then Mukhtar's shot, his lefty shot, after three step overs, hit the far post. It rolled along past the goal line. Stukes asks us, again, Stukes not be hugging the referee, but he asks us, goal? No goal. What do you think? Yeah, there was definitely a bit of an uproar on social media, and Gary Smith even mentioned it in the post game. He said, you know, from the angle that I saw, it seemed like a goal. I think it was the right call, and I'm honestly not even surprised that it didn't go to a VAR field check. The rule is whole ball, whole line. So if any part of the ball is still in the airspace directly above any part of the line, the the leather of the ball doesn't have to be touching the chalk of the line for it to be considered still in contact. It's uh, it's an airspace situation. So um, it was close. It was close for sure. But room just barely managed to dive onto it before that, that sort of side spin got it back into the net. Yeah. I'm not sure either call in that situation would have been overturned by VAR. Yeah, uh, sure. The sideline angle to me did look like a good goal. I thought it was over. I see no way that you can sit and look at the one angle where it looked good, though, and say that's conclusive, that's definitive. Either yeah, it's way, it's like a 3D situation, too. Right, angles mean VR everything there. Yeah, yeah and it, so it was a deceptive angle because you're looking at kind of that angle's midfield or almost kind of the edge of the attacking third there. It's not 
parallel yeah, to the to the inline. Um, VAR is only strong as your camera angles, and so I guess you'll consider this the official club and country podcast request for goal line technology to be implemented. Very expensive, very difficult to do, worthwhile if it's deciding games one way or another, as this very well could have. It's not our money. Let's do it, MLS. <laughs> also, eight DPs for every team. So this is not our money. Yeah, Perfect. sure. Uh, our gold nuggets, some stat milestones tied to the game. Uh-oh, Tim's got some trivia for me here in the rundown. Okay, so it was Taylor Washington's second MLS point, the assist that he had of Alex Muel. Tim asks if I remember the other one. Yeah, and? I do. Houston. What is it? 2020. Hani okay. Mukhtar. I think it was of Mukhtar, right? No, it was, it was not Mukhtar. It was, was it Abu Dunlady? Dunlady. Dunlady was the other one. Mukhtar had the brace, but the yeah. well, Mukhtar had the brace, but he only had the one goal from open play, so it could only mm-hmm. have been. That's right. It was the three-one win against Houston, uh, which was really one of the last times that we looked at this Nashville lineup and said, "Okay, this is going to be a challenge. You've got some some guys in here who normally wouldn't start uh, on the road, and Taylor Washington was fantastic. Tim, he really had an awesome display." Yeah, and I think when you look at what he does, everybody knows he's got that incredible speed up and down the touchline. Firing in crosses is, has not always been his strength. And, and like we've talked about with, with T. Dimes in the past, as, as Stukes has asked us to call him, we are not going to remember <laughs> to do that the rest of this, this podcast. But Oh, yes, we um, will. He, That's good. Yeah, he's, he's improved He's improved his crossing a ton. It's not going to be a strength of his game, but when you have the athleticism that he does, it needs to be good enough. Yes, there was, there's a little bit of good fortune on both the Don Lottie goal because Abu was very good at, at just running into the space that was created by the transition moment. And on this one, obviously Santos falling down. He's not a natural left back, although he's played exclusively there for Columbus this year. He doesn't necessarily have that sort of in the box, tough guy sort of stuff and probably wouldn't have been able to stop wheel even if he hadn't fallen down. I don't think Taylor's going to say, oh, well, those those assists only kind of count because there are mitigating <laughs> factors. They count. They definitely count. There are mitigating factors for every goal, if you really exactly, point to yeah. it. Somebody's making a mistake somewhere to even put you in that position. And let's let's talk for a sec then about Alex Mwil, too, because he had a couple of tremendous runs in this match that helped this club out. You had, you had that one where he's coming in and putting himself in a good position for a long way away. Also on the Mukhtar would-be goal, he was sitting opposite Hani, parallel to him, and would have been an outlet for a pass as well. I think Hani made the right decision by shooting. Yeah, yeah. But, but Alex came out of nowhere. It, we wondered how he would fit in that right wing-back role. Defensively, he has not proven to be a liability, uh, at least in, in the small sample size that we've seen as the small sample size podcast. But in the attack, he's still able to have the same grit and hustle that he shows in uh, in his typical right wing spot. I think it's worked again in limited action as well as Nashville could could hope at this point. Not just because he scored a goal, but because of the way he's putting himself in, in good positions to succeed. The way that the these formation plays out when he's on one side and Taylor's on the other is that. Washington is going to be a guy who kind of hugs the touchline and, and has the ability to drop back and le- be a little m- more defensive. And um, we saw Eric Miller sliding out into a pseudo fullback spot to allow Mwil to get forward. And I think that's the perfect implementation of Mwil in the system. He's not the most technical pure attacker, but he's not the most comfortable pure defender because he hasn't mm-hmm. really done that in his career. Finding a way to get the, the most out of him on either end of the pitch while not turning those weaknesses into a liability is exactly perfect, and that's what Gary Smith was able to do. I think Alex was asked once last year, what is it about your game that translates well, that challenges other people? Red Bulls, actually, I think he was asked, like, Dude, they're familiar with you. Does that give you a disadvantage? He's like, no, because what they're familiar with is I'm just going to run all day. Yeah. Like that's that's what it characterizes me. So 
it's not some left foot, right foot thing. It's that I'm going to run all day. You can know that's coming and it's still going to challenge you, which he ran all day in Columbus for sure. Uh, yeah. It's, I, it's like, it's like, it's like if, if the bulls played against Michael Jordan, when he went to the Hornets, it's like knowing what he does is not a disadvantage, <laughs> disadvantage no. to him because it's what he does. That is so important. Right. Absolutely. Uh, what Nashville has not done smooth segue there until this game is beaten Columbus coming into the game. It's the only team they'd played more than three times and never beaten. In fact, they'd played Columbus four times and never beaten the crews. First time they've ever even held a lead against the crew. And just the second goal they scored against Columbus. As you go back, of course, to that Eastern conference semifinal two years ago to a two, no loss in September of 2020 scoreless draw up there uh, in, in July of 21 at the new stadium at the time. And then the one, one draw in Nashville where Zell around scored Honey Mukhtar equalized two minutes later. Nashville, Tim has never played terribly poorly against Columbus, I would argue. They've always been close. So for me, this almost feels like a bit of a milestone to get to get over the Columbus hump when uh you know they've always they've always been pretty equally matched. Gary Smith talks a lot about how he wants his team to be difficult to beat. And when you look at what Columbus has been, not just for Nashville, but for teams around the league, they aren't always going to get a bunch of wins, but they are going to be difficult to beat. And for Nashville to kind of get that monkey off their back and say, when a team is focusing on being difficult to beat rather than coming out and trying to win, we can still go out and get that winning goal. And, and then weather the storm, as we've, as we've already talked about, it's a situation where this is a Columbus team that philosophically has a lot in common with Nashville. And when you have that, uh, you know, kind of meeting of, of two I guess, equals in style, if not necessarily in quality, to come out on top, you're always happy. And not only did Nashville come out on top, but of course they shut out this Columbus team. It's the first time this season anybody had done that. In fact, they've not been shut out since October 3rd against Philadelphia. This is a Columbus team that had scored four goals in its first home game this year, two goals in its second home game. And here's here's the fun one to me. The last team to shut out Columbus at lower.com field was Nashville. And they did it again. The only team actually to do that at Columbus's new ground. They were also shut out by the union in last year's opener, but shut out at home four times in 19, just three times since again, two of them by the boys in gold. Uh, this is a, a Gary Smith club that has uh, certainly done a good job of, I will say it bunkering when they've had to bunker. <laughs> and this is not the team's identity. And we're not, we're not, you're not the, the guys you need to worry about here. If you think that's what we believe about this team, but certainly in the second half, that's what had to be done. And all the compact one-touch passing that Columbus did, all the overlaps, all of that just served to wear them out because Nashville uh, stood firm. Yeah, Gary Smith is going to jump down our throats if we say that they parked the bus ever, pretty much. But certainly, I think I think he would proudly say that they did that in the second half this game. And that's sometimes what you have to do. And, and not every club is good at it. Not every club is experienced with it. Nashville is pretty much elite when they cho choose to go with that strategy. And I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say, we deserve to give two of those points back because it didn't look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> no way. And, and, and if anything, Nashville probably deserved more points to this point in the season than they'd earned. And so they'll mm -hmm. take three and one where the XG count would point the other direction. And after the 33rd minute, it certainly did to illustrate the point of, of quote, parking the bus, if you will. And I agree, like that's not not something that I'm going to pin to this team very often. It's not accurate very often. In this case, yeah, you take it. Uh, XG from the 33rd minute on. Columbus, 1.55. Nashville, 0 0.048. Yeah, it's an, it's an escape. Nashville was very happy, like we just said, to, to park the bus a little bit. And the game state dictated that. Um, you know, when we talk about the small sample sizes of stats, for example, when you look at XG in a um, um, vacuum, 
you don't really know a whole lot. This looks like Columbus dominated the game, but the reason was because Nashville was content to let Columbus take shots as long as they didn't take shots that found the back of the net. Nashville was very content to take exactly one shot after after <laughs> those um, Mukhtar and Sapong misses in the 33rd minute there. So you, you come away with one goal, you come away with three points, and hey, Columbus can get all the XG they want as long as none of them score. And we'll hit on that question in a minute, too, because there's there was a little concern about, you know, only having scored four goals in these first five games. And I think the motto in this league, as we've said it so many times, if you're on the road, get out shot 30 to one, as long as that one's finding the net and the 30 aren't. It's not about how you do it. It's about that you do it. And Nashville's doing it better than just about anybody uh, who's had a long road stretch like this. Yeah, I don't think Real Salt Lake is, is giving back their playoff victory last year over Seattle because they didn't take any shots. I think they were very happy to advance despite despite that. So that was almost it's, a, it's a situation where you do the job to get the result that you need to get, and Nashville did that. If you want great results at the bar or at the table, ML Rose is the place that will give you those. We'll preview Sporting Kansas City in a moment, but first I want to bring you a word from the official sponsor of this podcast, and that is, of course, ML Rose. And Tim, I feel like I've done the listeners a disservice here. Um, we've talked a lot about the burgers, talked wings. Uh, we've, of course, touched on your beloved Carolina Sweets, which have now become my beloved Carolina Sweets. But what about people who want something that is just a little bit lighter but still filling there's a great option on the menu there's an avocado blt that they serve at ml rose and i'll be honest I, i'm going for the burger almost every time even though the menu is so rich and diverse but i have a wife she likes <laughs> to go out to eat too and she'll chill down a burger she's canadian they can they can go to town on a burger but she really enjoys that that avocado blt um it's refreshing there's still bacon on it, so we're not talking. You know, this, this isn't like you know, <laughs> health, health foods, but exactly. But but it really does fill the need for somebody who's like, you know what? Yeah, I just don't need all the grease right now. I just want something a little more straightforward and and hearty and filling. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but I think it's it's a great option. One of a few great options for somebody who's not wanting to just go all in on a grease bomb. Give me the grease bombs. Uh, they're also very fresh and local and great. But um, it, it's I, I hadn't hadn't talked about that. Yeah, I uh, my wife also likes the salads. She, she likes the I think she probably leans a little bit more towards some of the waffle fried dishes that they have available there. But um, I like the salads, too. I'm I'm a skinny guy. People know that about me. It's not it's not, it's not a mystery to people. But um, yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about having a ton of beers and a ton of wings there. But um, obviously, obviously, it's not only that for us. And we're very excited to to be able to have the variety that they have, not just on the beer menu, but on the food menu as well. well with that walkable convenience to the stadium too. You know, if you you're can walk be, some of it off. Exactly. You can walk some of it off no matter what. But if you want something that's going to still keep you feeling like you want to walk and not just go take a nap after a beer and, a, <laughs> and some food, I think that's that's certainly a way to go. You know, I, I just I think about the experiences that we've had over the years. It was my anniversary with my wife last week. Uh, We've uh, been married seven years, which is crazy to think about. Time flies for me and it's gone very slow for her, I think. Um, in that, but, but I, I look back at the times that we've spent at, at ML Rose and, you know, if we want a fancy date night, there are any number of places we can go. That's not how we are. It's not how we roll. We want date nights where we can have a good time, talk, meet up with friends, maybe even sometimes and, you know, and, and see how they're doing, play trivia, do things like that. And, and ML Rose is the perfect spot. But if you want a meal as part of that, that's still going to impress your date, whether you've been married seven years or 17 years or just started dating, it's a good place to just go out and have a good time. And you're not going to be embarrassed by the quality of the food. It's awesome. It's not just your standard bar food. It really is of the gastro pub mold. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, we talk about it pretty much incessantly and thank you, ML Rose for making that possible for us. Um, but, but, you know, like I said, in, in our previous discussion about it on this podcast, it is because we truly believe in the product and we truly believe in, in the service and everything that they are able to provide there. And we, we hope that people check it out, not just for these final three away games, but for their pregame destination when the home stadium opens. Great beer, great burgers, great watch parties for every Nashville SC road match. ML Rose, 8th Avenue. All right, up next for Nashville SC is Sporting Kansas City. They've only played once in their history together, Nashville's MLS history. It was a win for SKC, and Alistair Johnston red card in that one. Goodbye, Alistair. Hello, SKC in Season 3. Uh, they are not playing tremendous soccer right now, Tim. 2-4. and four. One point behind Nashville in the West, but with one more game played as they have won both of their home games and lost all four of their road games. But my sources tell me this will be a home game for SKC. <laughs> so, yeah, well, Nashville is used to playing on the road as well. So, so there's a little bit of, of uh, immovable object versus irresistible force, too. And the questions really abound with this team. Uh, Peter Vermes has a tough job, one of his tougher jobs, I think, of his mm-hmm. time in SKC. And he's a legend who, who we, we are right to rarely question. But he's without Alan Polito. He's without Gadi Kinda, another key attacker for his team. He, basically, he was without his entire slated starting attack for most of the season and will be for most of the season. And the results have been just kind of sporadic attacking, as, as you might expect. Yeah, they've had four different goal scorers uh, through their six games, but four goals in six games is probably not exactly what Peter Vermees was aiming for when they started the year. So if they can find a go-to score in the absence of Alan Polito, or if they can continue to get balanced scoring but get more of it, it'll be kind of a game changer. Obviously, we've just spent an entire segment talking about how Nashville's defense is basically elite in the run of play, so the hope has to be that that doesn't change this weekend. Yeah, the one common opponent these teams share, RSL, which of course beat Nashville 2-1, despite the fact that the boys in gold probably earned something out of that and they didn't end up getting it. Um, SKC beat RSL 1-0. That was in Kansas City as Kansas City was playing um, through the international break. So now they will have played six matches in six weeks. This will be number seven. They're coming back from Vancouver as well. So they might be just a little bit road weary themselves after losing oh, to man, the I'm, Whitecaps. I'm, I'm praying for them with all this tough road travel. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How do they do it? Oh, wait. <laughs> They're further west than Nashville, and they only have one or two in a row at home? Oh, right. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> All right, so that's our early shout. Now it's time for a couple of treats for you. First, we're going to hear from Ian Ayer, Nashville SC's lead executive, talks about a lot of subjects in a wide-ranging interview on Lamestream Sports that Braden Gall and Steve Cavendish gave. If you want to hear the whole 35- to 40-minute interview, highly recommend it. Just look up Lamestream Sports on your podcast feed. He talks about the new stadium, about all the thinking that went into it, and I'll tell you, it was it was a very thoughtful conversation when it came to that that topic especially. But we wanted to play his comments that were a little more soccer-driven about building this club, about the advantages that this club gave itself in its early stages and how that's paying off now in Season 3. With a little assist from Sporting Kansas City that he that he may mention a key member of the of the technical staff here that comes to Nashville from that, that franchise. Oh, a nice little transition here. Who could that be? <laughs> we couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Let's find out. Here's Ian Air. You guys did a couple of very specific things, but one of them was was bringing in people that on the club side, on the on the football side, soccer side, how whatever word we're using right now, uh, that had MLS experience. And I'm not asking you to cast any aspersions of others that maybe haven't. I, I, I'm, I, but I but I but I am what I am interested in was that's a very deliberate decision 
that that you guys made from the beginning and it has paid dividends uh you're in the playoffs the first two years you were set up uh you know i think you've, you've you're set up well here for a third year uh what about mls experience did you think was necessary on the on the soccer side of things yeah you, you're right it was very deliberate um you know in the very early days i mean the first person i hired was Mike Jacobs, and we sat for a long time and talked about how we would approach it. And, you know, there were a couple of things. One was, you know, this, the study of this league. And, you know, again, having personally been in a bunch of other leagues before this, knowing how different it was, you know, you've got, and, and so many people from where I come from don't understand MLS. They don't understand the nuances of the travel and the climate and the, all of these important things, even people coming into MLS as expansion teams often miss that dynamic. And I think so. So we took a long look at, you know, first of all, the level of parity in MLS. I don't think there's another league in the world where you really cross the line in the first game of the season and not know, you know, who will be in the top three or four or who's most likely to win it. I think anyone has a chance of winning it every year, which has kind of been proven. There haven't been some team that have just won it year on year. And so when you've got that level of parity, our view was, you know, you've got to come out and be pretty solid. If you're, if you're the weakest guy in the pack because you get it wrong, you're really in trouble because people will just beat your ass, right? And secondly, you know, the, the other thing that, that we really looked at was, you know, the players that really understand how you grind out a result in this league, and that that lends itself to, to what what you asked about players who really knew the league, and you know we were we had a plan and we had to stick to the plan. And it's fair to say that a lot of the media, when we were signing people like Annabelle Godoy and others, were kind of like, "Oh, it looks like you're overpaid there," and you you know Nashville paying too much. You know he's been around it, and here's Annabelle now played such an important part in the journey. Just just to use him as an example, and People thought we overpaid for Walker similarly. So I think we just stuck to the plan and we had this view of that if if we can be very solid as a team, not be over ambitious, not be, you know, not be not ambitious at all, but let's just not be the team that everybody thinks they can beat. And then choosing Gary as a coach was fundamental to that. You know, some people, and we've said this a lot, some people would describe Gary's teams as defensive. We, we looked at them as hard to beat. And then let's, as we did in USL, let's start with hard to beat and then let's add more and more offense and, and come out of, of the game. And that's really been the plan. And, it, and it's, you know, it's worked. It, it's been steady. And we, we didn't throw... The, the other big factor, I would say, at the start was you have, you know, for one time... You know, in MLS, if you get it wrong, you can't trade your way out of problem because you can't go spend another 20 million on players, you know, like, I don't know, Manchester City or somebody like, you can't do that in, in a salary cap where, you, where you're restricted. So not only did we not go crazy, we had a lot of players on shorter contracts and, we, and such that if the first year had been a disaster, we had the ability to roll out of those contracts and roll into different different contracts. And then, and then secondly, you know, we looked at it and said, you know, let's not spend all the money at the outset. So we went into 
game one, I mean, albeit that we only played two and then shut down for five, six months. <laughs> but, but had we not, our plan was always, let's see what we've got. You know, you, you're an expansion team with 30 players on a roster or 25 or something we had. And we're like, we hope that we got this right. But if we've got it wrong, let's have some money still in the pot to say, you know what, we need another defensive midfield player or we need another striker or we need... And so if you saw across that, you know, the latter half of that first season and to some degree in the off first off season, we went again because we still had the bandwidth to do that because of the way we'd preserved, you know, expansion money and GAM and TAM. And, and so it was a very purposeful and well thought through plan. And it kind of continues today. You know, we, we sold Alistair in the off season and brought a lot of money in for that. We sold some other stuff, some other assets and, and we're still looking, you know, we're not, we never dive in just for the sake of spending the money. And I think that's so far, fingers crossed, that seems to be working well for us. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, first of all, I'd love to know what Gar- how Gary and Mike watch when on, on a ball sort of throws Walker Zimmerman to the ground in a World <laughs> Cup qualifying match for a penalty. But that's just that's just me personally. Um, Ian, how, you know, the U.S. is on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup after eight long years. How, how does that accomplishment and even some SC players being a part of that. How does that help grow the sport? What kind of impact does that have on Nashville SC and, and sort of the Tennessee community? Yeah, well, I think, and I know you were joking about, about Gary, but I have to say that I watched the game in a bar with some friends last night. I actually felt huge, not about that particular moment, but it did feel some level of pride for Nashville that two players on that field are playing in this city for this team. I think it's a huge thing. And both of them have captained the team at some point, which is fantastic as well. I, and, and, you know, I think I think that's great testament to, to this city and, you know, the thing that we've been able to attract those sort of players. I think the US qualifying for the World Cup was huge for the sport. I think knowing that, you know, in 2018, when they missed qualification, it just sets you back because so many people don't take as big an interest because because their team's not in it. And particularly the people who I would describe as being on the periphery of our sport. If you love the sport, you're watching whoever's in it, right? But if you're, you know, maybe I'm not sure about soccer, when all of a sudden your team, your national team, is is in the world stage, in the world's biggest sporting event, you're going to pay attention. And I think for us, and just talking purely about Nashville, I have to believe that, I was talking to John Ingram this morning, actually, about it, because we were talking about the game. And I said, you know, you have to think that when the, when the World Cup's on in the end of the year, you know, everyone will come out of that feeling positive about the tournament and all of that good stuff that happens with the World Cup. And then only be like six, eight weeks and we'll be starting the season again. So you want to capture that energy for, the, for this sport and take it into the 2023 season. So, you know, I'm absolutely sure that, that the US will, will be there, even though they already celebrated being there. But, <laughs> but you know, but I but I think that I think that's great for the sport. I think I was listening to something on the radio this morning. I think that the thought is that they'll be in pot two, which is better than the last time around when they were in that kind of group of death because they ended up with two big teams in with them. So who knows, you know, like I've always said about the great thing about cup competitions is once you're in, everybody's got a chance, right? So um, you know, who knows how far that can go. But but I think it'll be huge for the sport. And and obviously, 
even bigger given that the next time around it's going to be in this country. So, so it would be a tragedy if they weren't in this time and, and it's great to see them doing so well and getting there last night. All right, so hopefully the Easter egg was not a complicated one for most of you. Mike Jacobs, Nashville SEC's <laughs> general manager, is the, the member of the Nashville SEC staff, along with, of course, Chance Myers, who once played at SKC. Nashville has a lot that it owes to that Kansas City uh, club, but it also owes a lot to Ian Hare, to the job he's done. Uh, what what impresses me, Tim, I think, about, about Ian, he came in and immediately recognized that despite the fact that he'd been at Liverpool at the highest stages of the global game, he knew he was going to have to bring in people with MLS experience. And that is not a move, certainly, that every expansion club has made in its early early days. I respect the, humi- the humility and the, and the understanding it took to make that decision. Yeah, and we've seen so many franchises come in, whether that's in, in South Florida or even Central Texas, not knowing exactly how to, to put together the, the international component with the institutional knowledge of the league component. Obviously, the one that's on the banks of the Ohio River knew basically nothing <laughs> from the beginning, but but getting a guy from that Peter Vermees system to, to kind of guide the technical side of things and have all these smart business people surround him as well. Ian has done exactly what he has needed to do. And, and like you mentioned, a big part of that is the humility to know what he doesn't know and fill in the gaps with smart people. That's, I think, what makes the best leaders, right? Knowing where you're strong, knowing where you're not, and being willing to challenge yourself. And he's put folks around him who are willing to uh, to do just that. Uh, if you want to listen to that whole interview again, Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network comes out every Friday, and it was last Friday's episode. I just listened to it while I was eating my lunch. Uh, parts of it for a second time. It's it's good. It's really good. Uh, but now we're going to move on to another interview. This one we actually did and can actually take credit for, uh, and we will. Uh, Adam Bells in Georgia, as he says at the beginning of every scuffed podcast, a, a wide-ranging discussion about the U.S. men's national team, hitting local, of course, as we had to do. Here's our chat with Adam. Adam Bells is the co-founder and host of the Scuffed Podcast, the premier podcast covering the U.S. men's national team. He's a recovering newspaper reporter, not the only one in this interview, <laughs> with rich insight into USMNT news, tactics, and soon its World Cup matchups. And we'll get into the draw today. But first, Adam, thanks for joining us. We want to get into the flashpoint for folks here in Nashville, the moment that Anna Bogadoy took down Walker Zimmerman in the box was it a penalty in your view? I think it seemed pretty clear to us. And uh, just from an outsider's perspective, did it resonate that it was two Nashville guys going at it in that pivotal play or, or more just about the significance of that moment for the U.S.? You know, I didn't, it, that was not my first thought, but it is like, it is, I am interested in like what their relationship is in Nashville, you know, whether they're buddies or not. But I, my first thought was like, what the, what the hell is, can I say that? What the yeah, hell is, say whatever. is uh, Animal Godoy doing? Like, why is he doing that? Um, repeatedly, like he felt I, like I thought he fouled him like three times on the sequence, you know, and then maybe he could have been whistled for a handball. Mm-hmm. And then he did it again. I, I thought the handball was going to be what actually ended up getting the call in the end there. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, so I don't know. I mean, Matt Doyle, the MLS guy, made the point that maybe he maybe he, he's so used to doing that without VAR, without video mm-hmm. review that like you know, this new regime of video review kind of caught him by surprise. And that's why he was, you know, he was doing what he usually does. Now there's this new, this new video review and that, that caught him finally. I don't know, man. It seemed, uh, seemed crazy that he was doing that to me. Yep. I guess from a broader perspective, um, since we obviously will, we'll talk a little bit more about Walker, but, but Godoy 
in the two games against the United States, what did you see out of him? Did you kind of, you know, see the guy who I understand why this guy's the Panama captain and uh, other than making some really boneheaded decisions in that moment, um, you know, we understand what sort of player and, and why he's such a crucial player for an MLS team. Yes. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like every time I watch Godoy play, I like, mm -hmm. I like what I see, you know, he's, uh, he's big, he's physical, he's technical. He's, I guess he's not that he hasn't been that great in the, you know, final third for Panama in these games. I mean, I guess he did. He was the closest to the own goal in the game in the fall, but he didn't really have anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, but you know, the way he, the way he kind of controls the middle of the park is, I think is really good. He, it feels to me like he's, uh, he's sort of underrated uh, overall. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I like, I like, I like Godoy. I like Godoy. It's um, nice to hear after two plus years of people saying that he, um, the Nashville overpaid to, to, get him from san jose underrated I, we would tend to agree i think do you is that you guys is kind of consensus on him yeah i think from a from an mls perspective he's he's the sort of guy who um if he was playing if he was an american he would he would be the sort of guy who we'd be saying okay should he be called up over like a kellen acosta type obviously he's like 32 yeah. years old so it's a little bit different but um yeah I, I think he's the sort of guy that the mls guys doyle would be all over him if he was an american and saying hey call this guy up call this guy up call this guy up for a country like Panama, which obviously has much less depth than we do, it makes sense for him to be kind of their almost locked-in captain. He would not be that for the United States, obviously. Um, I, I wonder if he were if he were American, would he be the sort of guy who maybe would have moved to Europe by now? And the fact that he's Panamanian probably means that there's not as much interest from from those sorts of teams. Yeah, that's too bad if that's the case. It probably is. I think he's um, very happy in the United States, though. Like, extremely happy. Like... For, for guys who come out of Central America and settle in the United States and are like, oh, this actually rocks. I'm getting paid a lot. I'm, I'm happy here, you know. Does he does he get seen around? Do you guys see him around town a lot? Or is he, he lives out in the burbs. Pretty quiet. He lives out okay. in the burbs. It has, has like three kids, I think. So he's he's a family man at this stage. He's a, he's a regular Adam Bells over there. <laughs> <laughs> and he and, and Walker do seem to have a, a good constructive relationship. I think one, the Honorable was interviewed before the U.S. and Panama played, and he said, you know, we're friends, we're teammates. On that day, of course, we are enemies. Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't did not anticipate they would be such direct enemies in that moment. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Anibal, perhaps his own worst enemy uh, against against the United States. I wanted to ask you about the other side of that equation. And, and Walker, I think here in Nashville, you know, we've seen him get two consecutive Defender of the Year awards. We've seen him contribute on both sides of the pitch. And there, there was been, there's been a bit of surprise that he was for a while a fringe member of this national team and he wasn't in the lineup in Nashville when the U.S. hosted Canada nor when the U.S. visited Canada and more recently he seems to have really solidified his position uh, barring health issues on that World Cup roster and perhaps in that starting 11. What is the impression from an outside Nashville perspective of Walker's ascendancy? Do you believe he's grown into this team or do you believe that Greg Berhalter has come around to maybe what already existed in Walker's skill set? I would, I guess I would sort of favor the latter more than the former. Um, I'd be interested in what you guys have to say about that. Like, has he, has he leveled up his game? I, I, you know, Tim and I talk a lot. I see Tim talking a lot on the online and I've, I haven't seen you like dunking on anybody or, you know, gloating in the fact that Walker is now sort of a locked in starter. I was sort of a Walker skeptic uh, okay. to start. Not, not that I thought he wasn't a good MLS player, but like, you know, shoe in two time defender of the year seemed extreme to me. I do think he's leveled up though. I, I, I think that's probably fair to say. Okay. 
Um, well, the, the passing, the passing is never going to be John Brooks. Like uh, to, to give a little shout out to Greg Velasquez here, who's I think he's still losing his mind over still no Brooks in the lineup, but um, the, the athletic side of things and, and even pushing forward with the ball at his feet, I think are night and day different from when he joined Nashville right before the 2020 season. I think he's a better passer than miles Robinson, you know, yeah. like h- hitting a pass between the lines to, to find somebody's feet. But yeah, that athleticism, that absolute dominance in the air is, um, man, it's hard to over, it's hard to overstate how valuable that is. I feel like, uh, especially cause we have, you know, we have a, a couple of younger center backs, Mark McKenzie and Chris Richards, who aren't so good in the air and just to have, you know, Thor flying through the sky and just thumping the ball away anytime it's Mjolnir, played back is there. Or, or what hammer? is it? Mjolnir, <laughs> yeah. I think something like that. Uh, yeah, my Norse mythology is pretty. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we joke actually on the air on Nashville SC radio broadcast that he's found a way to install like magnets somewhere in his hair to, to track the ball to his head. He, he has this uncanny ability to position himself well, but then repel the ball back into the net with, with some force. Um, it's been it's been fun to see him grow into this team and into Nashville SC as well. Um, he talked after the draw about his excitement of getting to face Harry Kane. He was asked if there's one player you want to go up against that you want to try to shut down. And he was very humble about it, but he said, you know, that's the guy you, you watch, right? And and he's going to be there for England. He's going to be the talisman. We know we're going to have to face him. I'm eager to to shut him down. Other than, than Harry, is there a player in that draw, again, Scotland slash Ukraine slash Wales, Iran, England, who you're most excited to see the U.S. national team go against and attempt to either shut down or circumnavigate? I've been we're we're gonna record our Monday episode later this morning. So I've uh I've been digging in a little bit on Iran and they have some they have some good big strikers. You know, uh Turami, I think, is the guy who plays for Porto. And then um Osmoon plays for uh Bayer Leverkusen. He was just on loan to Zenit St. Petersburg. So he so he was playing. He played in Champions League, scored a couple of goals in the Champions League group stage, even though Zenit didn't go very far. Those are two really good players that um I think most people probably aren't tracking that closely mm-hmm. um the one at the one at porto he's he's got like 14 goals already this season you know i mean yeah. like he's he's banging in goals and um so i think that's going to be a that's going to be a fun matchup particularly for walker because they're both they're both sizable players and and good too mm-hmm. yeah i i i, I want to say one more thing about walker you know you mentioned him you know you just said he's he said this after the draw that he was excited to play harry kane and i feel like aside from the, like him leveling up and him being so good in the air and uh, you know, just being like a physical presence, he is, he, I think he was a much needed sort of forceful personality on the, yeah. on the national team. Cause, cause um, you know, without him, you know, John Brooks is a great player and you know, hopefully I would like to see him back with the national team at some point, but he's sort of a retiring personality. You know, he's not like uh, he's not like sh- shouting at everybody, getting everybody pumped up and, I think it was important for this very young team to have a guy like Walker come in and just be like, be like dad for a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm biased towards dads, but (laughs) that this is the the dad podcast. Just (laughs) dad cast. Yeah. Do do you think whether it's because of those characteristics or some of the other stuff that he provides that he's basically played himself into being a guitar lock at this stage? It feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, would say I so. think so. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, yeah, I would put I would put him as number one center back on the depth chart at the at the moment. 
Miles mm-hmm. probably second. And then, you know, the third and fourth is a little bit up in the air at this point. Chris Richards just got back from injury yesterday and yeah. we'll see. Um, I hope he does. I hope he does really well the rest of the season, the beginning of the next season and, and is called up. I like him a lot, but you know, he's not as, he's not as dominant in the air. He's, he's, uh, he's got, uh, he's got a different skill set, And, and I think, I think Zimmerman Brooks would be a great, actually be a really good pairing, you know, uh, as long as we're not playing a super fast team and like not totally like pushing up high. I think that Zimmerman's pace is okay, but he could still get exposed and yeah. Brooks's pace is not okay. And he will get exposed. So I, I like that. I like that pairing those two together. When you look at, I guess, going forward over the rest of this European season and, and kind of halfway through the, through the uh, domestic American season, there's going to be the nation's league and friendly window coming up. How much do you think that those games are going to affect what the player pool ends up looking like come November? Or do you think that it's mostly about, um, I think what, what I think we saw in Costa Rica, which is getting reps for the guys who are going to be as much of the first 11 as possible and, and hoping to get those guys comfortable with each other, even if they're really tired and played kind of horribly after 30 minutes. Right. I think it's going to be more about getting reps for the, mm-hmm. for the core team. I mean, uh, that's one of been one of our criticisms of Berhalter is that yeah. he doesn't do enough, hasn't done enough to bring in new talent and get a look at it. Um, he's stuck with guys for a long time. I feels like that's not going to change now. You know, we get, we're eight eight months away. We got six games to play before the world cup. I feel like it seems like kind of unlikely that John Brooks would even make it back in at this point to me. Uh, But yeah, what do I know? Well, do you think a guy like Brooks could be like, you know, those extra three in an expansion from 23 to 26 and say, okay, now, now we need those line breaking passes this is, this is an opportunity to slot him in as, as kind of a bonus spot on paper. Yeah. But yeah. if, if the, if the issue is, is that there's some personality conflict, which who knows, yeah. um, then no. When do you, when do you guys think, when do you guys think Walker Zimmerman did the leveling up? Like, I, don't, I would say happen? probably over the course of his first year in Nashville, he went from, this is a guy who's a really good offensive threat on set pieces, especially. And a guy who's, who's a above average defender, not yeah, that's obviously an above average defender domestically in, in MLS is not a U.S. men's national team player somewhere over the course of possibly even, you know, during the three or four months where nothing really happened, except for the guys were able to train for the, for the last maybe month before getting back on the field. I think, I, I think you could say he developed his ball work quite a bit then. Um, I actually think he's, he's a plus athlete. He's not going to be, uh, he's not going to be Chris Richards probably, but he's, I think he's not an elite athlete at the international level um, as, as loaded a term as at the international level can be as we, as we know, but I think he's, he's a plus athlete at that level. And that's something that he's kind of figured out how to show a little bit more in soccer ways rather than just in athlete ways, probably. Yeah. I, I think I, that I would, probably happened, you know, August or September of 2020. I would agree. I think it came from Nashville facing so much pressure because in that first year they were very much a defensive backbone squad who would score when they had the opportunity, but they were facing a lot of pressure. And I think that enabled him probably to hone the, the mental side of his game as well. Right. I think the, the biggest growth area I see from him, you mentioned he's already always had that athleticism. I think it's the positioning, right. It's knowing where to be and how to, how to fend off 
sustained attacks. And I think he gained that skill. Tim, I would agree completely with your timeline. August, September, as the team tried to grow from being a defense-only squad, really, to being a little more of an attacking juggernaut. And and he certainly helped on that end as well, uh, on set pieces, as he's always been known to be able to do. August or September of 2020. 2020, 2020, yeah. Yeah, I think I said last year. So it's not, you know, I I think maybe one of the reasons you're asking is because he was left off that that October roster, I want to say. He was an unused sub in all three games in the September window. I think by that point, he was basically the player that he is now. Um, You know, you talked about how maybe personality conflict between Brooks and Burhalter is is potentially an issue for Burhalter. I would say maybe the opportunity to see Walker's personality and see that he kind of is this, this raw, raw leadership sort of guy that you wouldn't see unless he gets on the field might be a a kind of a a switch flipping moment for a coach kind of saying, okay, now I get why this is a guy who is the leader of, of a back line that is so elite in MLS, why he's, you know, a captain when Dax McCarty, isn't the captain, Um, those sorts of things. I think maybe the U S staff got a chance to see only in game action and kind of came around from that perspective. Yeah. Cause he feels, he seems like he feels a hundred percent comfortable in the national team now. Maybe mm-hmm. he didn't mm-hmm. back yeah. then. Um, maybe didn't feel like he totally belonged, but you can tell he, he feels like he belongs now. Yeah. And he absolutely. does. And, he does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it's only fed into his, his club performance as well. I think you've seen that reverberate as he comes back from these international breaks where he's been so effective. He, you know, some guys might be wearied by that. And you see this weird duality of some guys not having that confidence carry over. It does for him. Uh, I think, I think that's fair to say that he's, he's continued to be strong in Nashville, not just skating by on his reputation. Uh, we, we would think he earned both of those defender of the year awards in major league soccer, uh, especially maybe that, that second year. So from a scuffed perspective, to take it from Walker specifically into what we're going to see in the next uh, seven months here or so, what does your preparation look like? Do you and, do you and Greg sit down and, and watch every Iran game from AFC qualifying? Do you guys sit down and um, watch club games from some of these guys and figure out what the players are like? How do you, do that? How do you kind of get familiar with uh, Iran and, and England and um, maybe all three of Ukraine, Scotland, and Wales before you yeah. kind of record your episodes and, and prepare the fans for what they're going to see. Um, well, I mean, Greg is Greg's deeper in the tape than I am for sure. Um, I don't know exactly his process. He's a miss. The man is a mystery, but um, <laughs> shouting into the front of his TV is always <laughs> right. But what I do is I, I, I go on Y scout. Like what I, what I did, yesterday I was, I go on Y scout and I just pull up like the Iran national teams games. Um, mm-hmm. the, not the full games, but like the stats on their games. And then you can watch like every shot they, they attempted in the game against Lebanon, every shot they attempted against, uh, South Korea, every shot that was attempted against them. So that's like, that's like my first stop is to go there. And then, you know, I'm like, Ooh, that's a, that player looks really good. Uh, what's he doing at the club level? And then you can do this sort of the same thing with him at the club level. That that's how I, that's how I'm getting started. We have a lot of work to do to sort of figure out what our plan is over the next eight months. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was all about, it was all about qualifying for the world cup and, you know, sort of pushing for that in our little way. And um, now we gotta, we got some planning to do and figuring stuff out. So I don't know exactly what the plan is. A lot less tailgate planning coming up though, right? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. 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 The tailgates, the tailgates, we're, we're trying to do something and try to do something at least in one of the new, the two windows that's coming up, but um, 
we'll see. We'll see. So as you look forward to what's coming up, um, among Scotland, Ukraine, and Wales, and, and among the re- with research you've done, and, and you know, having watched these guys throughout European qualifying, do one of those offer, in your opinion, the most favorable matchup for the U.S. to the to the extent that you can project that this far out? Man, I I have to admit I don't know the answer to that question. But um, my Ukraine always, I mean, take the geopolitics geopolitics out of it for a second. Ukraine, uh, I feel like, is always a tough opponent, like really disciplined and um, difficult to play against. And um, I know every, every, people think of uh, of Bale, Gareth Bale as the, a big problem for Wales. I'm not sure that's really the issue and or Aaron Ramsey you know these guys are getting a little old so I I think I kind of rather face one of the UK teams than Ukraine but that's just that's just me talking out of my butt right now you know it's Um, scenes against England too though it it definitely gives (laughs) some uh, storylines here yeah yeah no that that I've always wanted that just because not because not because I'm confident we're gonna win I just think the the opportunity for like joy and beating them is yeah. so high. It's worth the, I, I still remember where I watched the 2010 group stage game against England. It was uh, original gravity you? brewing in Milan, Michigan, a sponsor of the pod guys <laughs> <laughs> is Milan, Michigan in the grand rapids area or it is, it is like just South of Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. So. South of Ann Arbor. All right. Yeah. I, I think I was in my, I think I was in my apartment in Des Moines. Go blue. Yeah. I was in my basement in Knoxville. I believe, which was my apartment. It was a very dark, dim place, but not that day. That was a good. That was a pretty good day for, uh, for the U.S. The the '98 matchup with Iran, not so much. Don't remember where I was for that, but mm-hmm. I was definitely not a soccer fan then. I was. I wasn't. I wasn't as much of a soccer fan then. I was. That, yeah, That's I was fair. not. That's I was fair. not going to go out and like seek out games on TV at least at that point. I should say. Yeah, I couldn't have told you a single tactical nugget from that game. But it was ugly uh, on and off the pitch for for the U.S. What about the order that, that these guys are coming in? It's going to be, you know, Scotland, Ukraine, Wales first, then England, then Iran. Does that work well for you? Do, do you would you prefer to open with uh, with an Iran where, you know, you feel like the national, the, the world rankings at least would suggest maybe the U.S. would be a, a favorite there? Or do you prefer to open with, with England before maybe such a talented group gained full chemistry or do you care because these are all hypotheticals and the order is set. <laughs> I think I, I think I like the order of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my sense is that the first opponent is going to, that first game is going to be the easiest of the three. Um, I know Iran's ranked lower than us, but, but Qatar is like a one hour flight from Shiraz, the, like a big city in Iran. You know, it's a, I was just like looking, looking this up. Iran's a nation of 85 million people. There's a ton of people there. Yeah. One in every 100 humans in the world is Iranian. It's uh, I think that's going to be an away game for us. We're going to feel like an away game. Um, so I, I, I like to maybe have presumably the easiest game first and then, um, you know, try to get a result against England and then just see what we can see what happens in the final game i mean we should be we we can beat iran on our day i think i'm not trying to say that we can't but i don't know they're all going to be really hard games they're all going to be i mean soccer's so soccer's such a crapshoot let's let's just do it let's just, just do it just glad to be there at this point and by yeah, november I totally be glad ready, to be there but... and I, and i'm glad the england game is on black friday because that's going to get a lot of that's going to yes. get a big bigger television audience yeah and you know if we do beat them and um do it in a in a way that's like fun to watch 
know, that could be like huge for the sport in this country, I think. Yeah, I was I was looking forward to a potential like 11 a.m. Thanksgiving game, but this is probably better, especially now that uh, your beloved Iowa Hawkeyes no longer play Nebraska on Black Friday every year. They play on Saturday now. So. Somewhat beloved, yeah. <laughs> Any acapella songs coming up over the next few months here? I guess it's got something in the works in the lab I, over here. No, yeah. I mean, I have uh, sort of the unpublished Serginio Death song, which hasn't been right to put out yet because he was hurt for this window. Yeah. I um. I'm, I have mixed feelings about my acapella output. You know, some people like it. Some people don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see if, <laughs> we'll see if the, we'll see if the spirit moves again. Is there anything that you wish we had asked you or anything that you want to ask us about? Um, I know you're a big, you're a big uh, proponent of that question. So. I do. I ask that question a lot. Um, so so Nashville, like what's the expectation in Nashville this year? I mean, the playoffs are much like the world cup, a, a crap shoot, but what do you, what are you guys feeling like uh, would be a successful season and what would be a disappointment? Yeah, I think there are two tiers of expectations. Number one, I think supporters look at what's happened the past two years and say a top four finish in the West is a reasonable objective for this team. Uh, and I think the way they've started in their massive eight match road swing lend some optimism, you know, beating teams like Columbus and Seattle on the road suggests that perhaps that grind won't be too much and, and overcome them early on. Um, but I think also it is tempered by the reality that that is a tough stretch. And it's quite possible that these next three matches, even you go, go to San Jose, you're worn down, the man marking is hit or miss, and maybe it hits that day and, and you don't end up with as many points as you want. Um, and then, you know, what does that do to the identity of your team and the psychology of your team? So I think, if if Nashville can can take another win or take even another couple points in their final three of this road trip, then you're looking at half your road games gone. You're at home. You don't go on the road for more than one match the rest of the year. There are no more road stretches. And I think then there's significant optimism that it's a top four team. As far as the club goes, I think they'd just be happy to get to the playoffs and they know how much of a crapshoot the playoffs uh, you know, will be after that. So first year in the West, the travel's going to add up at some point uh, here in this stretch. And I think generally, though, optimism, excitement, Tim? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I would say supporters aren't necessarily getting restless, but I think after two years that exceeded expectations, there will be people who are disappointed if there isn't some kind of silverware. Now, that could just be like a U.S. Open Cup. It could be a supporter shield. I think that would be pretty unlikely. It could be even just a run to like a the Western Conference final. I think people need to see some sort of tangible uh, kind of re- uh, outcome of positive results. Um, being being good but not great is is kind of a, a malaise can set in from there, for, especially in, in pro sports where like every year feels the same. It's there's not like the urgency of college sports, which is part of what I like about college sports um, as well too. But yeah. I think people really want to see that sort of thing. Um, otherwise they'll start to say, okay, you know, this is a team that um, I, frankly hasn't captured Nashville. Like Charlotte FC has captured Charlotte. Um, Wes and I, the past or yeah, past two weekends have, have each gone to a Charlotte FC game. And I, I was blown away how much more they are beloved by their city than Nashville SC is. And some of that is, some of that is just kind of weird, you know, coincidence. Some of it is, is uh, location, like the, the area around Charlotte FC, um, since they play at bank of America is like, you're 
15 yards from a really cool like business district. Whereas in Nashville, as you experience at that qualifier, you have to walk across a bridge and yes, you're in Broadway, but it's like, you're just in a tourist district. It's a very different feel. Um, people mm. from Nashville don't go down to Broadway really unlike what it seems like people from Charlotte would probably do going down to the area down there around B of A. So I don't know, it's, it's an interesting situation for Nashville. So we'll see exactly how they capitalize on it when they have their own stadium. I think that's going to be a big deal uh, in, in the recent past teams moving into their own stadium. Hasn't been awesome. Um, Columbus was like mediocre in their home, their new stadium last year. So we'll see. When is, I know this is from the department of easily Googleable questions, but what's the, what's the, um, when is the stadium opening? May 1st. May 1st. Okay. Uh, yeah. Philadelphia union. Cool. And it's going to be, it's going to be that. It's not great. that far. Yeah. Come on yeah, up, come on up. Come on up and uh, let us know if you do, we'll, uh, we'll buy you a beer at, uh, at right. Rose, our favorite uh, burger and bourbon bar that also happens to sponsor this podcast. Um, <laughs> See, we're much better shills than you and, and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a PR guy in my day job, so shameless. It comes easily, comes easily for sure. And I'll push back a little on the Charlotte distinction. I, I, not that I wasn't just as impressed as Tim was with what's happening over there, but I think, you know, Nashville's first year was the, the growth was stunted a bit by the pandemic. I mean, add it to the list of myriad things that were impacted. And this one, of course, relatively minor <laughs> by comparison. But, you know, that first game they get, you know, 60,000 plus fans at Nissan Stadium to play Atlanta. To me, if they had a chance to play at home again two, three, four times, you know, in good weather in the spring in Nashville, they probably get crowds comparable to what Charlotte is getting now, you know, after that first game, so 30,000 or so, and you have a chance to really write your history with the supporters a little bit. Now Nashville has looked to the stadium to kind of be that, that catalyst. And I think it will be, I think the district around it's going to be great as they build that up and it'll definitely be a place you'll want to drive up since you're not far away to, uh, to check out. All right. Um, I was going to ask one other thing, uh, but, oh, I was going to just say that the on-field, the on-field product is like, as far as expansion clubs go, it's the, it's top tier, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's weird that it's not. Um... So one of the things is like, is the way that they did it was until you see them play, it, it doesn't come across as sexy. Like nobody's going to be as excited about CJ Sapong as they are about Joseph Martinez, no matter how many goals yeah. each of them scores. Um, I, I, you know, un, unsexy, but effective, certainly in the first year, um, probably a little bit less so in the past two years kind of tempered expectations and maybe unfairly i think the expectations were un, uh, unnaturally suppressed maybe but yeah it's a situation where probably people you know should have been more excited because it was people who knew what they were doing building a team rather than people saying okay let's go get you know these grab bag pieces and if it works out we'll look awesome and if we if it doesn't that's probably what the baseline expectation was I think it's cool to have a team. I mean, I'm not sure how much the reputation fits anymore, but the cool to have a team that everybody knows they're like defensively solid. They're going to hit you on the counter. They're going to, you know, stay compact and be disciplined. I, I think it's cool to have a team with that very clear identity. Uh, Cause I don't know how many others are there like that in MLS. Not um, a lot. Like maybe Portland is, is kind yeah. of like that. Yeah. Uh, Columbus has a, a bit of a reputation for that. Although they've been a little bit less like that under porter although he's the one who gave the timbers the <laughs> reputation for doing that so right yeah well the beauty of it too is it's it's a well-earned reputation when they go away from home but last year they were one of the brightest attacking teams at home as well and, and part of it was that they were getting that done on the counter still but but they were developed to, able to develop some rhythm and so i think you know teams that expect nashville to only be a team that bunkers 
um, the reputation worked in Nashville's favor because it, it deceived some teams into getting a little complacent and, and dedicating numbers forward and then finding themselves very exposed in the back. So that's the key, really, for growth, right, in year three. Uh, I think silverware, Tim says it, and yeah, we're hearing that here. It's still a ridiculous expectation for most expansion clubs in their third seasons that aren't L.A. and that aren't Atlanta. And so to be in a place where we're even talking about that as, as something fans not only want but but tend to expect this year, I think points to how strong this club has been in its first three seasons. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And and folks, while we've, we've got Adam, want to encourage you, check out Scuffed. It is an awesome podcast. I actually was driving in, in North Carolina from Charlotte to, to a work event here recently and listened to your uh, quite literally minute by minute breakdown. Uh, this was the Mexico match. And it was tremendous. Should we get into the timeline? <laughs> the timeline is great. Um, so it's uh, it's a great way to, to hear these things. But don't think wonky tactical. It's still very accessible, too, for those who are a little new to the game and trying to learn it. It's a great way to pick up what's happening. They go deep, but they don't go so deep that you're going to need to sit down by the side of the road and take notes. It's, uh, it's a great balance. So, <laughs> thanks, um, Wes. Adam, cheers, and thanks for spending time with us today. My pleasure. So, Tim, you again have recommended this show over and over again to the point that I was like, I, j- I guess I just got to listen to get this guy off my back. <laughs> and I'm really glad I did. And, and I referenced it to Adam as well. This, this you know, minute by minute almost, you know, key moment by key moment breakdown mm-hmm. of every U.S. men's national team match. But also the way they go about their business. There's so many in that U.S. men's national team camp who are alarmist who are angry who even if the u.s won five nil would be complaining about why it wasn't seven these guys i think do a really good job hopefully you know even having the same type of tone that we do right which is Mm -hmm. we're going to criticize where it's due we're going to compliment where it's due we're going to be fair we're going to be interesting we're trying to advance the conversation and and adam does a great job of that yeah, and I, I've made no secret of the fact that that Adam and, and Greg are people that I kind of look to when we kind of want to be what sort of style we are. I, it's no, no coincidence that we are similar in tone because there's, you know, I would say some of our role models, at least some of my role models when we began this podcast. And um, they're obviously two really good guys and, and guys who really know their stuff, really know how to put in the work. And um, shout out to Bells for being a former newspaper man who's, who's making a go of it in the podcasting world as his, as his core business. So um, best of luck to them. Obviously, I don't think they really need our help. Though. Man, they do not need our help. That's for sure. But we are glad that he was able to help us uh, better converse about the U.S. men's national team. Uh, moving into the mailbag, Grid Station X leads us off with our Akeloba TM question of the week. No, we're not trademarking Akeloba. Akeloba question of the week, TM. It's better. <laughs> he says, Akeloba seemed to play uninspired football to close out this game. Yeah, I know there's a lot of worry about him. And, and of course, there's a chance that the Akeloba experiment doesn't end up working out. But when people are kind of chomping at the bit to say Akeloba needs to be on the pitch, kind of regardless of, of the circumstances around it, I think this game showed maybe some of the reasons why he's not on there a little bit more frequently. When he's been given the opportunities, he hasn't always made the most of them. Um, he had a couple of giveaways in this one. I don't think it's a lack of inspiration on the field. I think it's just um, kind of having a little bit of a, maybe a disconnect between what he thinks he can get away with technically, maybe what he could get away with technically in Liga MX versus what is going to be a turnover in a, in a more physical, maybe slightly less athletic, but more physical league than he's used to. So these are things that he's going to have to kind of adapt to. He's continuing to adapt to them and, and getting his fitness and his, his tactical and technical awareness up are going to be big uh, features in terms of getting him more playing time. Yeah. And you know, Speaking to the the uninspired part, I'm not going to speak to a player's mental approach 
unless we're hearing from that player himself and, and grid station X even says seem to, so he's not, you know, making that, that judgment himself, but I still want to see how Aki Lobo plays when he's fueled by belief in a system that caters to his strengths, uh, self-belief, especially there. I, I don't know how you develop that though, outside of training when he's not getting the significant minutes in games and he's not earning those minutes. So it's kind of one of those catch 22s as well. A couple of stats for you, uh, just five touches, in the game. Um, so not a whole lot uh, in, in this action to, to draw off of, uh, but lost all four of his duels. Wasn't able to take a shot. So doesn't have a shot this year. Uh, I, I still think given some extended run in a position that's advantageous to him, like maybe the wing in a four, two, three, one, where he can kind of become that second striker if needed, but he's got the support of Hani and Sapong. He's got a target man. I think he can still be something. Um, I, I still think he can at least somewhat live up to some of the expectations. The question I have is just how you cultivate that enthusiasm and opportunity when he's not showing you things in those limited stretches that convince you to play him more. I think there's a chance coming up here. Um, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, Sporting Kansas City is not one of the greatest teams in MLS this year. And then coming up, you're going to see a San Jose team that uh, is, is boomer bust, uh, to put it very lightly. I think he can stretch the back line on those teams a little bit. Maybe those are the perfect games for him to get an opportunity. And if he gets an opportunity in a situation that plays to his strengths, there's a really good chance that, you know, people say striker is a confidence-based position and I'm a famously anti-feelings ball, but I'll buy into that a little bit and say, if he manages to even get a couple of good chances, not even necessarily score, it can really help his confidence and, and get things going for him. Well, we saw AK start in Cincinnati. Um, last year in a similar mm-hmm. maybe type of situation where, yes, it's a road match, but it's one where we expect to need some goals and expect to have some opportunities. That man-marking system for San Jose, I think you're exactly right. I think that's a great place to play him. I think there's probably enough reverence for what Kansas City represent that it's probably a tough expectation to, to I just think, think be in the lineup. They, for they've kind of adapted to that kind of uh, almost Liverpool-style press and possess, and that gives you opportunities to play in behind if you have a guy with mm-hmm. Ake's ability to to run in behind defensive lines. Uh, I, I don't know that there's confidence in his ability to retain possession if and when he gets those opportunities, and that's, as I just said, what I think is keeping him off the field. But it could be an interesting test case for at least a, a bigger run out for him. So here's the dream scenario. He still comes in in like the 65th minute, but because Casey is trying to press and possess. He's able to get in behind. He gets a goal in sub-duty, and then he's instilled enough confidence in this in this staff that they're like, you know what? Yeah, go start in San Jose. And he scores yeah, three. And, 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 and then after. he starts in San Jose and gets like eight goals. There you go. That back line. <laughs> I, if you were to name a team against whom that could happen in Major League Soccer, I'd think of three, and they'd be number one. who that'd be impossible possible to do against Uh, John Mueller this team is clearly set up to function well fielding three center backs but proven depth at that position is low do you think some of the reason we've seen NSC use a back four is tied to that also could we get Jack and Taylor on the field more Jack Mayer of course and Taylor Washington and John says I thought they looked really good I think the main reason we've seen a back four is because that's that's really what Gary Smith prefers to do when the opportunity is there, when the personnel line up correctly, when the opponent kind of has the right philosophy to use a back four against. That seems to be what he thinks gives the team the best combination of attacking and defending balance. And he's so, so focused on balance when he talks to us about 
what his tactical choices are. Um, when we looked at what Nashville did last year, they were leaky at the back when there were only two center backs on the pitch. And that was why we saw a shift to a back five, back three. And then uh, in the playoffs, they switched back and it did not go particularly well necessarily. Um, as for Washington and Mayer, yeah, they're very good depth pieces, no doubt. I think they are very happy to play the roles that they play for the team. And the, and the team would be very happy for them to play their way into even more playing time because great depth is something you can never have too much of, especially when you have long road stretches in MLS. Well, as I spoke with Gary Smith last week, he talked about how tough it is to be in the role of a Taylor Washington mm-hmm. or a Brian Anunga. Jack Mayer a little less so because we've seen Jack start regular stretches before. Mm-hmm. By the way, Nashville's only lost three of the 21 times that Jack Mayer has started for this team. Uh, and, and so I want to I want to go from that. You know, how do these squad players do? We have a question about Taylor in just a minute here. But what did it mean for the overall defensive effort to have a Nunga in, Washington in, Mayer in, even a Miller who has been a squad player for this team at times, although now he started several consecutive matches? And I want to point to one stat that I think indicates their performance as well as anybody: the number of times that Lucas Zelarayan lost possession. Part of this is going to be due to the fact that Columbus was in possession so much in the second half. But everything runs through that number 10 for Columbus. He was the leading scorer in Major League Soccer with four goals heading into the match. So in each game this year, how many times did he lose possession? Vancouver, 20. San Jose, 19 in a wild 3-3 game. Toronto, 29. New York Red Bulls, 23, which is telling to me because New York Red Bulls love to take possession away from you as well. Nashville, how many times... I'm not going to ask you how many you think, because you can see the rundown. How many would you have thought he had lost? I'll just tell you. Double New York Red Bulls. 46 times was Lucas Celerion dispossessed against Nashville. Now, it's not a like-for-like comparison game to game. As I just discussed, when you have the ball 68% of the time, there are more chances for you, by definition, to lose the ball uh, in those in those moments inside the final third, especially. Still, Tim... The point can stand, I think, on its own that Nashville did a masterful job shutting down a guy who very few teams have shut down in his time in MLS. Yeah, and when you look at Mayer specifically, Gary Smith said after the game oh, that that was a potential man of the match performance from this guy. And I, you know, when you're watching a game, you know, from television, unfortunately, it, it, you don't necessarily get that feeling. Then you rewatch it after hearing Gary Smith say that and you say, oh my gosh, this dude, this dude was out here balling. And I think mm-hmm. the depth, pieces that play like starters essentially um they aren't going to play necessarily like walker zimmerman but like jack mayer would start for more than half of the teams in this league and i think that the fact that you see lucas elrion be just stymied in a way that he hasn't been in any other game so far this year says a lot about the depth pieces that nashville's able to put out there well and i wonder and i purely wonder i don't have inside knowledge to this effect how many clubs have called mike jacobs or will call mike jacobs and say hey this guy's not starting every game for you whether it's taylor whether it's jack uh, what would it take? What would it take to uh, to take them off your hands? And I think the price would be prohibitive for any of those guys <laughs> right now because of what they added to this team. Uh, but we but we know we know that there is there's an asking price for everybody if you look at the Alistair Johnson situation. They probably got one on our heads too. I mean, they got one. <laughs> oh no, I wouldn't want to see that. It wouldn't be very high. Um, Sarah on this topic says, please just go on and talk about how good Taylor Washington was this week. I mean, Sarah, you're right. T- you're always right. Is you're that awesome. What, is that what Stukes wanted us to call him? T-Dime? Taylor Dimes? T-Dimes. Yeah, no, it's already not sticking. You're right. <laughs> uh, so, yes, gladly, of course, Sarah. We'll gladly talk about, about Taylor, one of the nicest guys on the team, uh, but also one of the most productive players on the team this past Saturday. He, of course, he had the assist. We all know this. He also led the team in crosses sent in. He led the team in interceptions. He won two-thirds of his duels. 
Of course, the biggest measure sometimes of a wingback is not just how they create, but how they prevent. Um, Luis Diaz did not connect on a single of his six crosses that he sent in because Taylor's a freaking mosquito out there and was was all <laughs> over him and, and playing truly a good two-way game. And the other thing that Columbus likes to do is overlap. And Marrera, the, the right back, kept on, kept on. A lot of overlaps. And I think Taylor did a pretty good job there dealing with those overlaps too. And in some cases, guys would get crosses off, but they weren't going to be accurate crosses. They were going to be rushed because Taylor um, and Alex on the other side were providing just enough pressure that those guys never felt like they could sit and pick out their spot. So how well did Taylor play? Well enough that, you know, Gary's not going to think twice about putting him in again when Dan Lovitz is having issues or maybe even reworking a formation if he had to. Uh, you know, last year we saw Taylor play on the left and Dan play on the right sometimes in an mm-hmm. inverted role. I'm not saying that's the way things are going to be in Kansas City, but you know you have that option when you can trust what Taylor's giving you on the left side. Uh, Tracy Edwards, if this team can better limit defending set-piece pain while being a little more ambitiously productive in attack, I think the backloaded home schedule sets us up well for the potential for great success this season. Uh, Tracy's a bellwether for me. Uh, I like Tracy a lot. Tracy probably sees things at times a little more pessimistically than, than I do. And that's not a criticism. That's reality of fandom. And we need that. We need, we need people who are harshly critical. We need people who are a little more pessimistic. And then I'm more on the optimistic side. Tracy's happy right now. <laughs> and I think that's a good indicator. Tracy, I think you make a great point. The set piece uh, element, of course, is, um, is important to, to fix. We all would recognize that as well. But apart from that, yeah, Nashville's allowed just one goal from open play all season. Um, and after this eight-match grind, they will not take another road trip, per se. They'll take a road visit, but not a road trip. <laughs> Just one at a time. They will not have two consecutive road matches the rest of this season. Uh, how has Nashville's performance compared on the road so far to maybe a standard that would resemble making the playoffs? We're five games in, but just for the sake of, of fun here, uh, they're at 1.4 points per game on the road. Extrapolate that over the course of a whole season— and that would have made Nashville the fifth best road team in Major League Soccer last year. So what they are doing is not just surviving. They're getting road results at a level that would help them be above the playoff line. And when you add a ferocious home environment to that, I think you're seeing a team, if they can get a, even a couple more points, uh, or certainly maybe a win out of these final final three road games, they're putting themselves in position once again to realistically expect to host a playoff match. That's my thought, at least. I, I, I think that they're putting themselves in, in yep. a better place. Yep. Awesome. Concise. Uh, Logan Elliott, how many points during this eight-game road trip would you be happy with? Last few games have felt frustrating, but with the win in Columbus, I feel like we have the opportunity to put ourselves in a really good position with the back with a home-loaded schedule starting May 1st. A so similar thought there to, to Tracy in terms of, you know, you get home and, and watch out. I said eight points in eight matches to start the trip. One point per match. Tim thought that was a little low. I guess maybe, Tim, you were right. Yeah. I don't remember what I said. I was going to go back and look, but I was like, yeah, it's probably about I think what you I were said. like the 10 to 12 camp. I think you were like, okay, eh, okay. eight, really? That's. And uh... I think I said 12 would be like a lofty... Yeah, lofty, lofty yet realistic. Which I think I think twelve still still might be uh, yeah. lofty based on what they have left. Mm-hmm. But uh, now I think you know instead of eight points, which would just be of course one draw in these final three, I think you'd look at three more points as being realistic here. Um, one win, which you point to San Jose is the immediate like opportunity maybe for that. SKC's not been what they have been. LA Galaxy late game just 
take what you can get, baby. Um, but I think one win or three draws, and you know, the one win looks more likely. I think they probably drop a result here at some point mm-hmm. in these final three. Um, the best to ever do one of these long road trips, by the way, Portland Timbers. Their first eight road matches when they had uh, renovate, uh, renovations at Providence Park, they're at 1.17 points per game. My mark of 10 points, if they get three more, Nashville's at 1.2 points per game in that stretch. That Portland team went to MLS Cup, uh, just for an indication of what you can do if you just survive one of these early stretches and, and hold your own. Uh, and to that end, Mike Meredith, are we going to get to see the Gary Smith jig after this road trip? Uh, and and Stukes asking he says I'm more in the camp of what the Gary Smith jig will look like. Tim, first we gotta we gotta clarify what people are talking about here with this with this jig. Yeah, Gary Smith was asked um, by our friend Ben Wright last week what what are your expectations now that you've kind of gotten through half of this this road trip? And he said if we if we end up with eight points, I am doing a jig. He said it <laughs> in the way that Gary Smith does. So. A single more point, and we are owed a jig by Gary Smith. I say we got to get a jig watch section going. Right? I've, I've, yeah, I've never seen Gary actually do a jig. I've seen him do all kinds. Of, I've seen the the double handed. I would be very surprised to see Gary do a jig. Oh, it'd be fantastic though. Like I've seen the double handed fist pump and the underhanded too. Like yeah, after a goal, there's an optional <laughs> power slide for 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 stoppage time winners. We've seen him do that a couple <laughs> times, but I'd be very curious to see what his jig would look like. Yeah. Anyway, to get to get back to the to the practical questions here um with seven points of date i think anything beyond that a single point would is falls into the good category like you mentioned there um you know a single draw would be would be good it would make the whole endeavor a success if you get three plus points whether that's uh, a win in the san jose game or draws in all three games however you distribute the, the remaining points i think anything if you get nine points through these games that is a success um especially going back to logan's question looking at the the ability for Nashville to kind of compound this when they do go back home and finally have home games, it's a little less clear than you would have thought. Maybe um, Austin went just three, five, and two in its first ten home games when they had their inaugural season last year. They ended up seven, eight, and two overall, so they rebounded a little bit. And Columbus went three, zero, oh, and one at Crew Stadium and seven, four, and two at Lower.com Field, so a slight step back when they moved to a new home. Um, the Timbers, you mentioned what they did when they were on the road, but let's talk a little bit about what happened when Providence Park reopened. Um, they went eight, five, and four at home in 2019. And that is the road trip and all of that is, is closest to what NSC is doing. Um, although the Timbers had previously played in Providence Park, so it wasn't going into a completely new facility. Um, they were four, six, and two on the road before opening that stadium and, and closed two, two, and one. So what might be interesting is, whether Nashville actually performs even better on the road rather than at home. Once they have a chance to, like you mentioned, only do those one weekend trips, they don't have to be back to back to back. And I think that'll give them a little bit more chance to be rested. And, um, you know, the jury is out on what happens when you open a new park, but I do think that what happens when you go back on the road after opening that new park seems a little bit more positive, which might be counterintuitive, but I I hope I explain it well enough as to why I think that might be the case. No, I get it for sure. It's it's a much less daunting lift too when you you know, hey, we, we've been good on the road. We just got to do do this once, mm-hmm. not eight times. It's um, yeah, I, I get that. Uh, John Mueller, do y'all have opinions on the single game ticket sale fiasco last week? I got I got nothing here. Yeah, I just want to explain what happened. Uh, there was a, a season ticket sale uh, or a, a a sale to season ticket members to get single t- game tickets for that first week. Um, they were all snapped up pretty much immediately in and pretty much immediately like three quarters of those tickets ended up on the reseller market. 
I understand the frustration for people who were complaining about it. I understand the frustration, especially seeing those tickets be resold. The unfortunate reality is that Nashville SC is at the mercy of its ticket partner. So I will say, yes, it is. It, it sucks for, for everybody to have tickets bought out of your cart on the website or whatever might have been the individual situations that happened. But unfortunately, uh, that that's life. It's, it's kind of out of Nashville SC's immediate control. And unfortunately, you know, not everything turns up sunshine and roses every, all the time. That's life in professional sports sometimes. Brian Wilson, chances of a summer DP signing and best use if it happens. It's something we've explored before the season, Tim, but uh, five games in, we have a bit of a sample size to revisit it. I think, I think it does depend on where things stand when the summer window opens. If the season isn't looking so hot by then, maybe an instant fix guy makes some sense. Um, it'll depend on what area of the field sees a slump because there isn't a specific need that is like a DP level upgrade necessary at this stage. So if the team doesn't need an instant difference maker, if it is just, hey, let's upgrade a position of weakness, not necessarily um, with a DP because we need that that level of upgrade, but because we can go in and, and put the finishing touch on this team. And we've talked about it before. I think Shaq Moore at right back currently playing um, for Levante in Spain, uh, for Levante too in Spain, actually. So he's, he's in the second uh, La Liga too. So La Liga dose, who knows? Um, I don't know that he'd be a DP requiring player in terms of salary. Um, acquisition costs might be pretty low and you could be, maybe get him on a TAM. But I do think that that's the sort of guy where getting a U.S. men's national team guy off the allocation order. Maybe that's worth a DP spot just in terms of, of kind of the, the sales item that you can get out of it as well. Yeah, in principle, I'd rather have a TAM player that fills the need than a DP just to say you've got that third DP. Yeah, I mean, Wes, Wes, it makes more sense Gold to bring away. in a guy. If you're adding one player to a roster that has two current DPs on it, it makes more sense to, to just add a third DP because you save allocation money. The DP slot is only good for the, the remainder of the 2022 season at this stage, not even the entire 2022 season. Whereas allocation money, you can spend in other ways. You can trade it. You can save it for future years. Um, it, it's not permanent. TAM especially um, is expiring after four transfer windows now, I believe. But um, the designated player is that spot expires immediately. So um, yeah, I, I understand the the desire to say, let's use all these MLS roster mechanisms, but sometimes uh, hitting a nail with a hammer is the way to do it. Fair enough. Nashville has the gam. And I know yeah. they can recycle some of that and use it elsewhere. I'm, I'm more speaking to the principle of the matter. Yeah. Like it would be better to bring in a Tam Shack more at right back than to go get a DP at some other position, just because, you know, you have the you have the desire to yeah. bring in the third DP to fill the spot. So that's the point I'm making is that if yeah, Shaq Moore I mean, comes into the TAM I, level, take him. Regard, to the regardless level. of what it is, if you have if you have current players, Walker Summerman, for example, is is in the TAM range. You could slap a DP tag on him for the second half of the season, and then you're saving the amount, the net amount of TAM that you're spending to keep him under the salary budget right now. It's it's an account. The DP, the third DP slot is going to be an accounting mechanism, no matter how Nashville SC ends up using it, because I do not think they're going to go out and get a guy who's making more than $1.6215 million. So it's going to be an accounting mechanism rather than um, anything that kind of indicates a difference in the type of player you're getting. That's fair. That's totally fair. Walker Zerman, by the way, not a DP now. He is a PD though, a penalty drawer. Just ask out of Godoy. <laughs> No, no. Sorry, sorry to our Panamanian friend who we love very much. Uh, Stooks loves him too. He be hugging. Stooks, throw a little feelings ball out there. Tim, feelings ball time. Did the yeah. Vibe 2s have the juice? Referring, of course, to the uh, electric... No, wait. Yes, acoustic electric blue. blue. Acoustic, acoustic blue. blue. Acu sorry, Austin Gwynn. The acoustic blue. 
tickets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as much as I'm not a feelings ball guy, I'm not a huge what the jerseys what the jerseys are. I as long as I can tell what the which team is which, which was not always the easiest when you have a gold team playing against a dark blue team when the other one wears gold and one wears black. But uh, yeah, yeah, they had the they had both the juice and the sauce in my opinion. I have an idea. <laughs> you want to hear it? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds great so far, huh? Um, the Golden Derby. Nashville, Columbus, the two teams most prominently known for wearing gold slash, you know, some some call it yellow. I call Columbus's yellow for sure. The winner of the previous match gets to wear their primary gold kits for the next match. Uh, those two I'm cool with that. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's, a, right? it's a, a somewhat low stakes but meaningful rivalry. I like that. I like and that. And if there's a draw, I mean, there's a coin flip. I bet you didn't think something. I was going to agree with you on that. <laughs> no, I, I thought you'd like that. I thought it was a fantastic <laughs> idea that whatever, everybody would like. It's simple, right? And I don't think there's anything in MLS rules that would keep you from doing that. You can wear what you want, where you want to wear it. I, I think it'd be kind of a fun way to, to do it. Just, uh, yeah, low stakes, fun game. It would come with some bragging rights because Columbus does call its its color. Its official color is, is named Original Gold which it always kind of has been, but kind of feels like a slap in the face to Nashville anyway. So <laughs> you may be the original gold, but we're the real gold. Uh, well, aren't, aren't they supposed to be like a, a, a construction crew or a mining crew or something? Shouldn't it be like highlighter yellow anyway? Start wearing UTRs like my balls do. Worked well for construction <laughs> too. <laughs> Stands out. Uh, Jay Robinson, no set piece goals conceded last game means it's fixed now, right? Uh, he's, he's ribbing us for being in the small sample size podcast, <laughs> but sure is. To, to put numbers on it, um, according to American soccer analysis through five games now, Nashville has given up 2.62 expected goals on set pieces, uh, which is good for eighth in the league, which is, or sorry, eighth worst in the league, I should say, which is not horrible, but it's obviously not good. Um, they've given up three goals on that 2.62. So that's a slight overachievement by opponents in converting on that. That's tied for seventh worst in goals against. But uh, I think you could fairly say you don't expect Nashville C to give up a penalty in, in most five game sample sizes that you look at over the course of the year. Uh, if you look at last year, they gave up five total penalty kicks in the 34 game regular season. The year before that, the inaugural season, the uh, COVID briefened season, 23 games, they give up zero penalties and earned zero penalties during the regular season as well. So I think if you take out the penalty that uh, FCC Dallas was able to convert, it's it's actually only feeling bad because of what happened last year <laughs> more than anything. Mm -hmm. I, I think, um, you know, a, a healthy Walker Zimmerman who's not going to be called into quite as much national team duty until June is is going to be a big piece there. And um, let's let's see if we can have the boys in gold improve those conversion rates and prevent opponents from turning those corner kicks into goals or prevent those free kicks from turning into goals, as we saw Lucas Zillaran, uh through no fault of Nashville Ooh. this weekend. But yeah, that was close. Uh, yeah, I, I I think things are actually looking up. Although I know you're kind of ribbing us on the sample size here, Jay. But I but I it's understand fine. where you're coming from, and I agree with you. Bring the ribbing. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> and and to go feelings ball for a second too. I mean, regardless of the fact that Zellerion probably had you beat if he puts that you know mm -hmm. a foot to the right, you just survived the best free kick taker in MLS. He's also a great corner kick taker. I mean, with apologies to Hani Mukhtar, who could be as good as anybody on his day. Zellerion's done it so consistently since he's joined mm -hmm. the league. I think he he probably takes top billing there. I think to not concede against him and against you know Columbus with a couple of big center backs in there who who have been capable of converting in the past is a victory and it will give them confidence uh, if if set piece defense is all about belief and all about one-on-one -on -one matchups then you know they succeeded and, and maybe they'll they'll add some belief to the equation
And both Gary Smith and Alex Mwil have mentioned, and I, I believe Dave Romney mentioned it last week as well, that avoiding situations where you're giving opponents set piece opportunities in your attacking third is something that's important. Obviously, that Zillarion chance that we saw in Columbus was precisely what they wanted to yeah. avoid. But yeah. I, I do think that a big part of it is going to be about not fouling in those situations, not conceding corners in those situations as frequently. If if they, if you have less kicks of the ball, you have less opportunities to accumulate expected goals and less opportunities or fewer opportunities to, to turn those into goals. And I think that's what Nashville's focus is almost as much as it is the individual defensive efforts on the set pieces themselves. Final question from Sean White says four goals through five games. Seems like a slow pace for this team. I get that they've been on the road, yada, yada, yada. Thanks for nipping our rebuttal in the bud there, Sean. Um, <laughs> he says, how does the stat measure up against your expectations? It's a fair question. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I don't agree with the premise. I don't think four goals through five games on the road is a slow pace for this group. Um, and to prove it, let's look at their first five road matches last year. And I answered this question in Twitter as well because I wanted to go ahead and get it on paper anyway. Uh, last year, three goals and just four points in those first five road matches. This year, four goals and seven points. So... Is it? It's a little better than last year. Now, that doesn't fully answer the question. Is it still slower than I might have expected? I think when you when you look at where Nashville's had to go and having to do this over and over and over again, keep in mind those five road matches last year were pretty spread out, whereas these mm-hmm. are, of course, back to back to back to back to back. Uh, and that team, despite that slow road start last year um, in the net and on the points tally, ended up third in the East, obviously. So they were doing something right. Now, if they score four goals through their first five home matches... I think that's a very fair point to make, but but on the road with what they're facing, no, it's not going to blow anybody in this league away, but they're in, they're in survival and, and, you know, put squeeze, squeeze points in wherever you can mode, not, uh, not expect two goals per game mode right now. It's important to look at who those results have come against too. Yes. Four goals through five games might not be the best, but um, this hasn't, you, you haven't faced FC Cincinnati and San Jose on the road quite yet. Um, both of those teams, <laughs> both of those teams will host Nashville SC later in this year. So uh, if you look at Seattle, perennially one of the strongest teams in the league, Real Salt Lake, as, as I previously alluded to in the podcast, knocked Seattle out of the playoffs last year, despite not taking a single shot. These are really good defensive teams. They are defending at an elite level when they want to, um, when they kind of have full health and all those sorts of things. FC Dallas even looks greatly improved over last year. And some of that is in the attacks. A lot of that is in, in the form of Paul Ariel coming in and, and being mm-hmm. the guy that they traded all that allocation money for. But they're still ahead of last year's road pace. Um, last year, I think Nashville got 1.28 points per game on the road or something like that. Right now, you're ahead of that with, again, San Jose and Cincinnati still coming. Um, San Jose coming pretty shortly here. So um, if if you get back from, from uh, PayPal.com field and you have zero goals against uh, the Earthquakes, then maybe you can worry a little bit because that's a back line that you expect to score against. So far, I would say the results are not ideal, but they're not something to worry about. I have two jokes. I'm going to tell them both. Let's do it. Number one, if you score two goals at paypal.com field, you only get credit for 1.65 because of processing fees. <laughs> that was actually good. I like that. And number two, it's not really a joke, actually. It's more of a statement of intent. If Nashville SC scores multiple goals at San Jose, the title of that next podcast will be, Do You Know the Way Through San Jose? Yes, because ML, every MLS team seems to. <laughs> it's a song, though. You know the uh, song, yes, right? Yes, okay, just yes, making yes. sure you... I used to uh, live in San Jose once. I didn't know that. Yeah. Down by the bay? Uh, we actually lived in the East Bay, but yeah. I just wanted an excuse to get the song yeah. in your head. Uh, 
two songs in 10 seconds there. All right, let's go outside in and let's, uh, let's... a regular DJ earworm. Are you <laughs> back to my home? I dare not go <laughs> Western conference elsewhere in the league. Um, LAFC on top of the table. Impressive win for them over Orlando. Anytime you travel across the country and score four goals, even if you're LAFC, you're doing something right. And they are the only undefeated the, the team. The LAFC in the West podcasts now. are not being asked. <laughs> What's wrong with the scoring? <laughs> right. No, they are not. No, they are not. They have equaled Nashville season tally in, in one afternoon in Orlando. <laughs> um, only undefeated team in the West. Philly and Chicago unbeaten in the East. Chicago, by the way. Who saw mm-hmm. that coming? Another scoreless draw this time against Dallas, and and they're doing it on the strength of their defense. Something we yeah, it's, never it's would Gaga have expected. season, baby. Man, he is. They're going Gaga for for Gaga Slonina. His first career start back when he's playing in Europe. We can we can say we knew him back when was against Nashville and that other scoreless draw up at Soldier Field, um, or Soldier Patchwork Field, I guess I should say. <laughs> that one. Uh, so Nashville is tied for tenth. Right now, again, not overwhelming, but we knew that right around the playoff line was probably what things were going to look like at best with this road trip. And their past opponents in second, RSL. Dallas is in fifth after that draw in Chicago. Minnesota eighth, Seattle ninth. I would have probably completely reversed that order at the beginning of the season. Um, but Certainly I would have put Dallas last. But, but uh, yeah, like I just mentioned, they are immediately improved. It's not just like... Oh, they they kind of got a lucky, you know, to get a penalty and then get the the late goal while Nashville's pushing. Yes, that might be how that one game played out, but they are they are much better front to back this entire season so far. This is the league of upward mobility, which by definition means it's also the league of downward mobility if you don't get it right. <laughs> and uh, so far, I think we can be optimistic that the boys in gold have at, have at gotten FC it right. At FC Cincinnati, is there anywhere to go that's even lower? <laughs> There's no mobility in Cincinnati. None at all. Fourth, that was the game of the week for me, by the way. Um, and I'll tell you my secret here in a minute in fantasy sports because it's going to go away here soon. But 4-3 uh, defeat at home against Montreal. They're just, since he's not always good. Okay, since he's not ever good. But they're fun. <laughs> they're fun. Uh, let's blow the final whistle. And let's give you the 440 Sports Football League standings. And there's a wide gulf right now between you and me, brother. Um, I'm now in third of 56 teams because of the secret I'll tell you about in a minute. You are in, am I reading this right? 43rd. Yeah, and uh, it's not because I forgot to set my lineup. So the trick used to be pick teams with, pick players from teams with double game weeks. Yep. Since there are only a few double game weeks this week, I picked guys who uh, ultimately did not play in either of their games so that was not i would not recommend that it does not help you if they don't play so that was my issue i captained somebody who didn't play in either game actually. oh no do the do you yeah. get a backup captain in this case i don't think you get a vice either i think it just screws you right um i'm too deeply buried in shame to even open fantasy.mlssoccer.com <laughs> so far it's not pretty uh you're still beating Braden though does that make you feel better Braden Gall in 46th out little of 56. Bit, little bit. And Fokker remains in the lead, but I'm coming for you. And here's my secret. Um, I play FC Cincinnati players. Not defenders, please no. Not defenders. Um, I play Van Brandon Vasquez. He was my yeah, captain. Vasquez, Vasquez is probably crushing him. Leading score in the league Yeah, uh, right now. And I, I play Lucho Acosta. And mm-hmm. what that has done, and the reason I'm sharing this is because that secret's going to go away soon because everybody's going to start doing that. And, and then I'll go to something else. Nobody wants to play these guys because they play for Cincinnati. So if you pick a bad team who's scoring a lot of goals, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's just for a short spell and you start playing those players, nobody else is playing them. They're not not a whole lot of other people. And so you can... Google.com, did Chris Wondolowski unretire yet? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> jump on it. He'd come in pretty cheap too, like four point eight mil probably. You could get him and uh, grow that stock. So now Brandon Vasquez's stock's gonna be way up. Now I'll probably sell him soon, and I can get a player who I wouldn't be able to get by getting rid of Brandon mm-hmm. Vasquez earlier in the year. I'll tell you that. Uh, anyway, it's fun. Uh, still jump in and play if if you're playing, but not in our league, or if you want to start. If you, if you are not season. playing yet. It will only take you a couple of weeks to pass me and Brady. It's true. So do not be dissuaded. From I was going to make that joke, but you, it was much nicer for you to be self-deprecating there. So that's good. Uh, all right. Content recommendations. Then we'll finally get you guys out of here. Mine's simple. I've already recommended it three times today, but the lame stream sports interview that Steve Cavendish and Braden Gall did with Ian air. The whole thing is great. Again, lame stream sports on the four forty sports network, same place you get our podcast. You can find there. It comes out every Friday. It's kind of a media driven podcast. Talks a lot of sports media ratings. They, we stole their idea to do content recommendations. So it's kind of content recommendation inception that we would recommend the content from which we got the idea to do content recommendations. But uh, Ian's interview really is good. And, and as somebody who's heard every word he said publicly for the past, you know, three years now, I learned a lot. So it was great. And my content recommendation is inception. So I can learn what you're talking about. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my, my content recommendation is actually the GA cup. Uh, I think people who are new to MLS, especially if they're only discovering MLS, because they are Nashville SC fans, because they have a team in their hometown. You will not know about this. Um, it's an academy competition. It takes place every year, uh, every normal year. It hasn't taken place the past couple of years in its, its usual format, at least. In Frisco, Texas, down at the FC Dallas uh, training grounds, um, it's the youth teams from clubs across Major League Soccer. From It has historically been clubs across the Development Academy. But there are also international guests. So you have a chance to see Toronto FC against Monterey's U15s, for example. You're going to see Santos Lagoon. Luna's youth teams. You're going to see teams from Cruz Azul. You're going to see MLS teams going against all these international competition. Uh, and yes, it is just youth teams and, and no Nashville SC's uh, U15 and U17 teams while they are participating are not some of the games that are streamed, which you can find at MLSsoccer.com later this week. It starts this Saturday. Um, so even though you won't be able to check out Nashville SC, check out the GA Cup. I think it's fascinating. Everybody knows I talk about it probably too often that I'm in uh, football recruiting. So I cover like youth, essentially, development from a football perspective. So seeing it from the soccer perspective is always thrilling to me. And when you get to see these guys go against the top talents around the region and uh, around the entire hemisphere, when you look at some of these Argentine and, and Brazilian teams that are coming, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, a lot of these players are not as far away as you might think from contributing on Major League rosters. Major League Soccer rosters are elsewhere. Completely agree. All right, folks, hop on Apple Podcasts right now if you're listening to this. Give us a quick rating. Give us a review as well if you're feeling so kind. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks to ML Rose for sponsoring us. And Moon Taxi, as always, for the music. Don't just rate and review. Also, subscribe to our show. Uh, tell a friend about us as, as soccer grows. Whoever you're going to that first game with, make sure they know about Club and Country. Com and also the podcast clubcountryusa.com and the podcast and uh, thanks to the 440 Sports Network for airing us. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>